Welcome to the teaching ministry of Grace Baptist Church in Santa Maria, California. Join our pastors as they share biblical principles of God's transforming grace so that you may learn God's word in order to live God's way. Amen. Let's take a moment and address our Savior. Lord Almighty, we do praise you for victory in Jesus, victory over the penalty of sin, which has been won for those of us who have trusted you and your sacrifice, victory over the power of sin, which is being won by those who are now trusting in your promises at this moment, Lord, to live our lives for your glory. And one day, victory over the presence of sin as we stand in your presence. God, I pray that this evening you would use your word to shape us and to make us more like your son, Jesus Christ, having victory in him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal and are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. These famous words begin the second paragraph of our own Declaration of Independence written by our president, Thomas Jefferson. You and I, undoubtedly, most of us here, have heard these words enough times that they have become so familiar to us that we begin to think we understand them without really putting any thought into what they are saying, especially the last seven words. Jefferson and his political mentor, John Locke, both believed that government was to protect people and to serve their interests abroad. I think insofar they were correct about that. But in their thought, this would allow the citizens under this government to pursue their own interests, which Jefferson summarized as life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But famously, ever since at least the days of Socrates and Plato, it has been widely known that happiness is the one thing that you cannot catch by pursuing. Happiness can only be had by living for a purpose higher than self-fulfillment. Happiness can only be had by living in light of the fact that God is God and you are not. Happiness can only be had when, as we will learn today in at least one area of our life, we realize that living how I live with my family in this area we're looking at tonight is all about God. And it's therefore not all about me. How I live with my family is all about God. Let's look at one central passage in which this statement is made clear. I'm reading today as we continue in Ephesians, Ephesians 6 verses 1 through 4. Paul writes, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. 
Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with the promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Verse 3 that we see here is the closest thing that the Bible comes to promising happiness. He says that it may go well with you. So, good, Let's run with that. Let's find out what the Bible does command us about how we may live our life that it may go well with us. And the first point that we're going to run into is that we need to obey because it is right. These are on your notes if you got your note sheets as you walked in the door. And we get this out of verse 1. Verse 1 simply says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Now, the key to this verse, in fact, we'll find out to the whole passage, is this clause in the Lord. I say this because the word obey your parents is pretty straightforward. I mean, there isn't a lot of guessing there. Kids, do what mom and dad say. Do I have any amens? But in our culture, you can pretty much bet that the first response someone is going to give is, well, what if my parents are wrong? Or what if my parents tell me to do something that's a sin? Or, more to the point, actually, is what's really going on inside their hearts, what if I don't want to? Or what if I don't feel like it? Any parent ever heard any of those? Now those questions answer themselves when we understand what Paul means here by in the Lord. But again, in order to understand any part of the Bible, we need to understand the context. And so we're going to go all the way back to Ephesians 4 verse 1. And I know it's been several months. Hang in there with me. Sunday evening gets interrupted by a lot of things. But we said several months ago that Ephesians 1 is the controlling verse for all the rest of Ephesians, including 6, 1 through 4. And there we read, I therefore, prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. This, I urge you to walk in this manner, this idea is what Paul is then going to unpack. He's starting there in 4.1, and he's going through, through the end. Now, if you remember, we decided then that the best way to define walking in a manner worthy of your calling was to ask specific questions of ourselves. If you don't remember, it's okay. It's on the Internet, but it gave you a whole par- page of questions. And we discussed questions like, am I living in such a way that people see God instead of me? We ask questions like, am I living in such a way that people see my attitude or they see my love? Am I living in such a way that people see that I'm more interested in building them up than just voicing my frustrations? And the last one we did then was, am I living in such a way that people see that I'm zealous? 
I'm working hard in both my attitudes and my actions for a peaceful striving together for the good news of Jesus Christ. You might also remember that I stole that phrase from Pastor Benji when we were uh, in Philippians because I thought this striving together. He always says gospel. I say good news. Potato, potato. It works. Right, Benji? Now, we took these questions directly from the verses that were immediately following Ephesians 4.1. We did Ephesians 4.1 through 6. And now we're simply two chapters further on in the same book, and we find again that if we're reading Paul's uh, verses, we're seeing questions that just jump off the page at us. And in light of this passage, 6, 1 through 4, we ask two questions. Am I living in such a way that people see I am consistently obeying those in authority over me? By the way, notice the word I did not use. I did not say perfectly obeying. I said consistently. Is, it char- is my life characterized by allowing myself to be a man under authority? Now, in a few minutes, we're going to get to uh, verse 4, and there the question is going to be, am I living in such a way that my children see that I am looking to God's word rather than human expectations in my parenting? Now, any pastor will tell you that parenting for others' expectations is a real temptation because people look at pastor's kids and judge them by that. Now, I'm not saying whether that's fair or not, but what I am saying is that's a temptation. We want people to think that our kids are good, but our kids will know that we love them more than anybody else around us if we are basing our parenting on God's word. And by the way, asking questions in the context of what's around anything that you don't understand in Scripture, that's exactly how you find the meaning. You always ask questions of the context, what's around a passage or a verse or even a clause so that you understand what God is trying to get at here. But now back to our text where he says, in the Lord, I think what Paul's doing is he's giving a shorthand to remind us of what he said way back in one about walking in a manner worthy of our calling. So children, you need to, in light of this passage, obey in the Lord. That is to obey in such a way that how you relate to your parents. You need to obey so that how you listen to what they say, how you do as you are asked, is done because God wants you to do it that way and not merely to stay out of time out or restriction or get your computer privileges taken away. To obey your parents in the Lord is to recognize that they are in authority over you and that with all of the qualifications that our good lawyer children will come up with about sinning, lying, blaspheming, stealing, etc., when all else is equal... 
and you are under their authority, children, you must obey your parents. That's simply what the Bible teaches us. Because how I live with my family is all about God and not, therefore, about me. You know, kids, I'm saying this because I was a kid once too. It really is that simple. I mean, that's what the Bible says. And there is another what I call phrase of interest in this verse, and that is this whole part that says, for this is right. Obeying your parents in the Lord is right. Now, some of you sitting in here would remember a time in our culture when the preacher would have gotten to this point and simply gone to verse 2, because this is the right thing to do, didn't take any qualification. But that is not true in our culture today, because what is right is almost universally assumed to be how I feel. You guys know what I'm talking about? Obey your thirst. Do what feels right is basically what our culture teaches. However, what is right is that which conforms to reality. And reality is what you smack into when you're wrong. Being right is what conforms to what is really happening. Dictionary.com says, in accordance with what is good, proper, or just. Also, there's several of you who knew a time when the preacher would have said, according to Webster. That's not how it is anymore. Sorry. Um, The point is, the point is, no matter when you live, you know what's right. Your conscience is, is a pretty good, not perfect, but a pretty good determiner of often what is right and wrong. So, if I ask the question we asked a second ago, am I living in such a way that people see that I am consistently obeying those in authority over me? And by the way, almost everybody here, however old you are, has people in authority over you you will immediately see that obeying the people in authority over us is the right thing to do. It is in accordance with what is good, proper, or just. And as everybody old enough to sit in this room knows, you won't always feel like doing what you're supposed to do. But living a life that is all about God, will very often mean that you must live contrary to your feelings. Instead, you and I must do what is right. And there's all kinds of ways that other people need to do what's right. Amen? Let's look at a few of them. One word that we frequently bring up is ungodliness. And ungodliness is living your everyday life with little or no thought of God. You're not even thinking about God while you're living your life. You're not thinking of His will, His glory, or even your dependence on God. But, how ungodly am I and how I spend my day after I've read my daily bread? After you've done your quiet time, Are you living your life in dependence upon God? 
Trusting God is to depend on Him coming through on His promises. And the opposite is anxiety and frustration. Am I allowing anxiety about the future to make my decisions? Am I allowing fear to be something that controls what decisions I make? Am I allowing frustration to color how I interact with the people I love? Boy, all of a sudden, it becomes very apparent that even we have a problem with doing what is right, with, with doing according to our feelings instead of what is right. Perhaps you struggle with unthankfulness. You don't feel thankful for what you have because of whatever difficulties are going on in your life. Am I allowing discontentment to make me unthankful for the goods that I have? Because when you and I begin to look at our lives, our own hearts like this, it becomes easier to see that we too live by our feelings and not always but is right. As Christians, as those of us who are trusting in God's promises, we must recognize that our obedience isn't at all about my feelings. Our obedience is about all about God. And how you live with your family, whether you're a parent or a child, whether you're a grandparent or whether you're an aunt or uncle, how you live with your family is all about God. Now, you know, the, the thing about being God is you know everything. It's kind of one of those cool things that God has going for him. And because he created us and because he knows everything, he knows that we struggle with this whole obedience in light of our feelings versus being doing the right thing. He knows that we struggle with that. So God gives us extraordinary promises. Have you ever just read the Bible and you bump in to one of these promises? I will never leave you or forsake you. Whoever calls in the name of the Lord shall be saved. I will wipe out your transgressions. My friends, these are the promises that we need to trust And that is why, in this passage, our second point is we need to obey in light of God's promises. God gives us promises, and we need to obey His commands in light of those. And right here, Paul does a favor for us, and he gives us one of these commands, promises. And we see it in verse 2. Paul is quoting, and he says, Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Paul here is quoting Exodus chapter 20 and verse 12. And indeed, this is the first of the commandments that contains within it a promise. And that's the one that Paul writes here in verse 3. God is serious. He is so serious about this promise, he puts it in his 10 big rules. And he says, listen, if you obey your parents, if you honor your father and mother, it's going to go well for you. Now again, 
We're a bunch of lawyers when it comes to us needing to obey commandments. But don't judge a rule by its exceptions. What if the parents are ungodly? What if they tell us to do something wrong? You can decide those in light of what is right in the Lord. But generally you can bet that if a child does what his mom and dad says, it will go well for that child. So now we get back to our point. And the point is, do you trust God to make your life work out when you're following his commands? Are you going to believe that God is honest enough and powerful enough that if you do what he tells you to do, things will go better for you than if you didn't? Because really, every single one of our sins is basically an unbelief. We are distrusting that God is going to take care of us. You get bitter at somebody. The reason you're bitter is because you don't think God's going to take care of this and make the accounts even. You are envious of somebody. You're envious because you don't think that God knows what you need and he's going to take care of you whether people think you're such a great person or not. You covet and you want more stuff. Because you don't believe that God's going to take care of your material needs. Now, I'm just telling you the same things that I struggle with. But every single sin that you commit is basically telling God, you know what, God? I don't think that you're either good enough or strong enough to come through on your promises. That's basically it. That's That is what both Moses first and then Paul want us to take away from this verse. If you obey, it will go well with you. If you don't obey, well, there's no guarantee what's going to happen. The question, again, is simple. Do you believe this? Do you trust that God will guard your back if you err on the side of doing what your parents tell you? Do you believe that God will help you and bless you and take care of you if you obey his commands and trust his promises? If you trust God's promises, then you will know how I live with my family is all about God. Now, kids, those of you still living in your parents' home, that was easy, right? I mean, I didn't tell you anything you didn't know, right? Any kids, they say anything you didn't know? I'm seeing three sets. No answer. Okay, you may keep going on that? Okay, I didn't think so. Let's get to convicting the dads. And the convicting the dads comes in the third point, and that is we... Dads need to obey in our parenting. There should be some hallelujahs from the kids section over here. Yes, make them obey. And we see that in verse 4. In Ephesians 6, 4, it says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. 
We must break up this verse like we did the others. And the first part of it is he's telling us, don't provoke your kids to anger. Now, I did a very non-scientific study this week, and I published my top 10 ways to provoke your kids to anger on the Facebook. And I got some comments. Some people disagreed with some of the things I wrote, but I wrote it, so I think I'm right. You can decide yourself because I wrote them on your note sheet. If you didn't get a note sheet when you came in, there's some by either of the doors on those bookshelves back there. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time on these because some of these are being funny. But all of them, if you think about it, the times you drive your kids nuts or the times that your parents drove you nuts, they were breaking one of these rules. One of the top 10 ways to provoke your child to anger, compare him to someone else. My friends, don't. Don't compare him to their brother or sister. Don't compare them to their cousin. I could really preach on that. How about overprotecting your child? Hmm. I know some of you in this room, and I know some of you overprotect your children. It's a struggle, isn't it, moms? I mean, parents. How about this one? Punishing for mistakes rather than for disobedience. Here's a question, parents. If I ran into your child and I asked them, would you get in more trouble for knocking over your mom's flower vase or would you get in more trouble for lying? What would your child say? Your child knows the answer without thinking. Would they get in more trouble for knocking over the flower vase by being careless Or would they get in more trouble for telling a lie? That will say a lot about whether you are provoking your child to anger or not. How about number seven? You don't listen to your child. How is it that we expect our 13, 18-year-olds to listen to us if we just spent the last 13 years not listening to them? Hmm. You won't admit you're wrong or seek forgiveness. You employ inconsistent discipline. Boy, I wish I were better at that one. You model sinful anger. You have a child-centered home. You fail to keep your promises. You lack marital harmony. Boy, that is a way to get your kids to seethe with anger when dads, you are not loving their mothers. And dads, many of you don't have children in your home. I get far too many young men, actually mostly young women, in my office because the young men are not acting the way they ought to be. And in large part, guys, it's because the dads even now, even after their kids are no longer in their homes, are not exercising, they're not living marital harmony. And that teaches the young dads to check out when the going gets tough. How I live with my family is all about God. My friends, we have a short time on earth. Don't blow it by checking out too soon. The second half of our verse is, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. I promised you a few minutes ago that I would ask and answer the question that we brought up earlier. Am I 
a dad living in such a way that my children see that I'm looking to God's word rather than human expectations in my parenting. And let me begin by noting again the key phrase in this sentence here is going to be of the Lord. And all that we said a few minutes ago about the importance of in the Lord and obeying your parents in the Lord is also true here, Dad. We need to relate how we relate to our children is all about God. It's all about who He is and what He has done because that, my friends, is where we get what we are to emulate. So, Dad... Don't lord your authority over them. Don't be the kind of dad that says, it's, sorry, it's my way or the highway. Because that isn't real parenting. Instead, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, it's a fair question. What does this mean? What does it mean then to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord? Well, in, in the sake of time, I, I thought of a, a quick and easy way to answer this question. We could spend a whole sermon just on that. But the first question is, what does the Lord discipline for? What are the things that we see in Scripture that the Lord disciplines, especially the children of Israel, but then later the church, for doing? And so, because this was something I had to consider as a young father, I came up with what my son back there is going to remember very well and telling him there are four things that you will face a consequence for every time. And we ran over these four things a lot just so that my boys would always know. The first is disobedience. If you disobey, you will get a con- consequence. If you disrespect your mother especially, because that was the one that they were more tempted to disrespect than me. I don't know why that would be true. You will face a consequence. What about putting yourself or someone else in danger? When your boys are grabbing each other by the throat, that was something they got a consequence for. And the last one that they would always get a consequence for was telling a lie. And this is what I've told my boys their entire life. The worst thing you can do is lie. Listen, why is it the worst thing a child can do to tell a lie? Because when a child tells a lie and they get away with it, because parents, we are not omniscient like they think we are sometimes. When they get away with telling a lie, they are training their heart in something that will destroy them. And that is that they can do whatever they want and get away with it because they'll always be able to tell a lie. That is our enemy's main power. And that is deceit. So when, I know most of you here aren't parents, but to whatever extent you have influence over children, Remind them, tell them, the worst thing you can do is tell a lie. Because frankly, a five-year-old is not likely to murder anybody. And the word adultery doesn't even come in their vocabulary for another 10, 16, 20 years. But telling a lie is something they're born with. And we need to train them out of it. And then the second question, that's what does... 
was the Lord disciplined for? I summarized it into these four, disobedience, disrespect, putting yourself or someone else in danger, and telling a lie, deceiving if you want to keep the Ds. But the second question was, what does the Lord instruct his children to do? I've heard it said, and listen to this statement before I qualify it, you should never tell your child no out of inconvenience, but only tell your child no if you have a specific biblical reason to tell them no. Did you catch that? Don't ever tell your children no because of inconvenience. But make sure if you're going to tell them no, you have a specific biblical reason to do it. Now, I think that's extreme. I don't think anybody could actually live that way. (laughs) I mean, Lord Almighty, how many times have I just been on the couch and didn't want to go play soccer? I'm sorry, son. I love you, Nathan. Uh, Because I was exhausted. And I also will admit that, no, I don't have a biblical reason for every time I've said no. But it's a good thing to strive for, is it not? I mean, you could see that if that were your goal, you would be heading in the right direction. Certainly every parent has been guilty of telling their child no because they were too tired. But remember, and this idea should remind us, how I live with my children or my grandchildren, or my nieces and nephews, is all about God and not about whether I'm tired or whether or not I'm hungry and I want to eat that last piece of cake instead of giving it to my still vertically growing child instead of my horizontally growing self. Thank you, I needed that. I I so needed that, Barbara. I appreciate that. And that gets us to the last point I want to make about this verse, this passage. Because I imagine most people in this room have heard this passage preached before. Am I wrong? And there is so much guilt that we as parents can take from this. Has anybody ever heard a sermon like that? Anybody ever felt that way? Anybody feeling that way right now? The good news is found in this passage from beginning to end. And it all goes back to relating to the Lord. And my friends, as a child of God, all of your relating to the Lord is done in Christ. Let's remind us. Let's remind our hearts of a couple of verses. Romans three twenty four says, and we are justified by his grace. We are declared righteous. We are credited with righteousness as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, through the buying us back from our slavery to sin. And then another verse that you know well, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. And my friends, eternal life begins now, even as parents, even as children. And that eternal life is found in Christ Jesus our Lord. Then, one of my favorite verses in all of scriptures, there is therefore now no condemnation, parent, 
for your messed up parenting. There is therefore now no condemnation, child, because you have not obeyed in the Lord. There is therefore now no condemnation. Amen? For those who are in Christ Jesus. And then I could not avoid my favorite biblical book, and that is 2 Corinthians. And this gets to the heart of what we are saying, and it gets to the heart of what it means to live by grace, even in our parenting and even in our being parented. Paul writes to them, he says, For all the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. And it's because all of the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. That is why it is through Jesus that we utter our amen to God for his glory. He continues, and it is God who establishes. I love that. He establishes. He he makes a foundation. He establishes us with you in Christ, and he has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. This is the point of the passage. You have promises in Christ. And because you have promises in Christ, you are established in him. And you don't need to fear any condemnation for your bad parenting or for your bad childing. Because how you live with your family is all about God and the grace that he has for those who love him. Let's pray. Almighty Heavenly Father, Lord, I was a perfect parent until 13 and three-quarter years ago. And then I realized how my own sinful heart would warp any children you gave me. And God, I have been far from a perfect child. I did more than my share of rebellion. But Lord, I know that you are also full of grace. And for those of us who will humble ourselves before you, those of us who would focus on you and we would trust in your promises and rely upon your grace, Lord, we will find you a merciful and loving and gracious and empowering great parent that we need both to parent our own children and to be parented ourselves and God I pray that all of us would go forth this evening with some new tools with some new ideas but also with a new desire to trust in the promises of God for us in Christ so that Lord we will be the men the women the boys and the girls that you want us to be that are worthy of the calling that you have given us so that others may see us and they may see you, Lord, and give glory to your name wherever we are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our hope is that today's message empowers you by God's grace to live God's way. For more information, visit us online at gracebath.net.